Uh, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. If it's July 3rd or 4th weekend, I'm preaching. It's, this is kind of my deal. Uh, Bill gets the Sunday after Christmas, and I get 4th of July weekend. Right, Bill? We, we, uh, and uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys realize this, but I, I'm beginning my fifth year. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure... I am now number three on the seniority list after Nancy and Chad. I'm not sure, but um, it's been great. Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm fourth. You, you got somebody else? Yeah, yeah, somebody's going to be on staff who's, you know, I'm probably number seven. All right, so bottom line is turn to your, uh, get your bulletin out here and grab your notes. We're finishing up our series on our Promises of God series. We're going to look at the topic of freedom and hope, the promise of freedom and hope. And, you know, we talked about, you know, Fourth of July and that, you know, we celebrate our liberation from England. Uh, is anybody from England? Because last hour there was a pronouncement of confession in the first service by uh, Simone. But uh, she's not here to, to apologize. It was kind of funny. We, uh, we had a lot of fun with that. But Webster's Dictionary says that freedom is liberation from slavery or restraint or from the power of another. And yet, what we're going to celebrate today as we talk about freedom and the hope we have in Christ, we're going to see how those two concepts are tied together biblically. In fact, we believe that freedom spiritually is something that many Christians don't experience on a regular basis. In fact, he gives us the promise of freedom, and I want to talk about four specific areas. Then at the end, I'm going to show you how we tie hope and freedom together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would guide our message this morning. Do not let the messenger confuse the message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at it. We have, and by the way, I'm giving the announcement up front. You're going to see a ton of verses on the screen. You will not be able to look them all up. They'll be on the stream. The references are in your notes, and then you can uh, get the full notes on the website later, all right? So freedom from four things. Number one, freedom from the tyranny of sin. Romans, we're no longer held hostage. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have the promise that sin doesn't rule over us. As a Christ follower, we don't get caught in this treadmill of always feeling guilty and feeling the failure and despair. And we are not needing to be chained to our past because we're forgiven. Our sins no longer own us. Look at Acts 13, 38 and 39 in the NIV. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed uh, to you. Verse 39, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. The good news is that you're forgiven. Now, think about if you're in the Old Testament uh, era Everything was based on the sacrificial system. And I'm wondering, in my heart of hearts, if they kind of wondered, is this thing really going to work out, you know, sacrificing, you know, lambs and stuff? And ultimately, we know that Jesus Christ, right, is the lamb that was the ultimate fulfillment of all the Old Testament predictions. Now, the, the problem is that for many of us, we don't feel forgiven, or in fact, Maybe the question you should or I've been asking is, why does sin produce bondage? I want to suggest there are four reasons why. Number one, we feel handcuffed like we'll never change. 
Now, I have never been handcuffed except for last hour, and so I want to illustrate this because I think that oftentimes this is what sin does to us. Now, we practice this, and, you know, because uh, I am so muscle-bound, I can't go behind my back, so we're just going to do it right in front here. Um, and so, thank you. Don't go too far away, but you can have a seat here for a bit. So, we are bound, aren't we? It says, this passage is literally, we're bound by sin. So, why is that? What causes that? Well, first of all, for some of you, you're dealing with habitual sin in your life. Maybe it's moved into an addiction in your life, and maybe it's something more innocent like impatience, or it gets more uh, serious like anger or lust or porn or infidelity or gluttony or drugs. And part of the problem is you just don't feel like, I'll never be free from this. I'll never get over this. Number two, because of that, you then feel guilty. And in fact, you say in your mind, and maybe you've gotten this thought planted somewhere, a good Christian would never struggle with this. If I were a better Christian, I wouldn't still have these feelings. If I were really a Christian, maybe this wouldn't keep coming back to plague me. And when that happens, step number three, oftentimes you kind of spiral down and you wonder, am I even saved? Because I feel like I can't break free from my past. I don't feel the forgiveness. And then oftentimes, when we're wondering where we're really saved, then it goes to one step further and you wonder, is God big enough to handle my past? And is my stuff of such a nature that, man, I don't know, right? And, and you begin to find yourself wondering, is God going to be faithful and true to His promise? And then the last stage is you say, I'm just not worthy. Well, you know, the good news theologically is you are not worthy. You don't have to worry about being worthy. He paid for the price of your sin. He understands the, the roller coaster life of your experience. In fact, didn't Paul talk about that in Romans 6, 7, 8? He says what? I don't do the things that I know that I should and I do do the things that I know that I shouldn't. So even Paul wrestles with this ambiguity of how sin produces bondage in your life. But the good news is that we are set free, that Jesus Christ came to set us free. And even now, I'd like to be set free. That's a hint. I'd like to get out of these. And so He is the key to freedom, right? He unlocks the, the sin of our past. He's forgiven it. It was paid for once and for all, and literally, He unchains us. He, he takes the shackles of our past off, and He can actually see those shackles. Um, that's, a, that's a little pin in there. They're stuck in there. I got such big wrists. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, we're free to be directed by God. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit against, uh, again to a yoke of slavery. <clears throat> so the problem is, I think oftentimes in our head, we understand it intellectually, but we don't believe it. We don't trust what we know God to say is true. Now, I got to tell you, that belief and trusting something is very similar to my golf game. Now, you said, 
you knew it was inevitable. Someday he would work a six iron into a sermon. Well, today is the day, friends. The bottom line is, I cannot hit this club. Now, it's, it's a normal club. I have never thrown it. It's never been in a lake. But I cannot hit the club. Now, those of you who are not golfers, you don't understand the problem this causes me in my life because I get up there and I go, oh, no, please just let me hit it. Don't let me embarrass myself. Please don't let me hit the guy I just met who's over to my right here. Because I shank that thing so bad, and you don't know where it's going. Like People are ducking for cover, and, and then I'm embarrassed. Like, uh, in fact, quite frankly, I'm going to solve this problem. It's on the, you can have it today. I'm selling it to you. Who wants it? You can, yeah. The bottom line is I don't trust it. Intellectually, I know it shouldn't be any different than my 7-iron, but somehow I just don't trust it. That's the same way with we have issues in our life where we know the Scriptures say, that we should believe, we trust in, and we know them intellectually, but we don't live it experientially. We are set free. So you don't have to worry about being good enough. You're set free from legalism. Now, some of you grew up in churches that were way conservative, right? Very strict churches, and you, you've come to ABF, and you go, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, like, the high school pastor wears shorts making announcements. That would never happen at my church, right? And so, we, we define what we think real church is, and we have these legalistic ideas about it. Uh, we're free from beating ourselves up about our past, Every single one of you in this room, I'm sure, has something in your past you're not proud of. And in fact, you're free from the concept of sin management. If you've read any of Dallas Willard's stuff, he talks about sin management. You're free from that. It's like getting that get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. You're free. Number two, you're set free from the relief from affliction. He said, really? Because Man, I have a lot of trials. Look at Isaiah 61.1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the who? The afflicted. Circle that in your Bible. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to the prisoners. And then David adds that in Psalm 118 verse 5. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Both of these passages talk about setting the captives free and that the brokenhearted, that God's come to mend your broken heart. Now, Israel certainly understood bondage and slavery, didn't they? Northern kingdom, 10 tribes. If you know your history, what happens in 722? They get invaded by the Assyrians and they're taken captive. In the southern kingdom, those two tribes uh, are taken captive by the Babylonians a couple hundred years later in 586 B.C. Israel knew slavery. And so, as the writers write, it's an unbelievable promise that you're going to be free someday, that the, pra- the captives will be set free. Now, I've never been in prison. Uh, the closest I've been in prison is I did serve detention in high school, but I'm not going to talk about that. That's a painful past and why I had to serve detention Some later I'll tell you guys why, but just that's between us. Sometime later, all right? But the bottom line is some of you have served time in prison. I talked to a guy this this past week for about 30 minutes, and he's in prison, and he'll be in prison for a while. And it's heartbreaking because he yearns for the day to be set free. Now, we think about prison, and then we think about trials and afflictions, and we say, well, and, you know, James says we should in, in know that we're going to have trials. We get that. But 
compared to the Christians that are suffering all the world, kind of puts my little puny stuff kind of in perspective, doesn't it? Yet I thought about, there are times though, as believers, that life just seems unbearable. I've been in ministry 38 years, and I got to thinking about the times where people need a pastor the most is oftentimes when they have nowhere else to turn. They, they just, they, no one can relate to their story. And I, I made a list of all the times where I thought about this was unbearable for someone. And they were, they were wondering whether God would ever, ever forgive them or meet their need. Or, under, or anybody could understand what they were going through. I have a pastor friend who has needed a lung for a while, finally got his lung transplant a month ago. And then four days after that, the lung transplant was fantastic. He has a stroke. This is one of my best friends in ministry. Now he, he can't lift his right arm and he's having a good attitude, but he's wondering. Or maybe you've had a relative like I have who left her husband and her two kids and divorced him and married somebody else. Or maybe your spouse has been the one who's been unfaithful multiple times to you. And your heart's broken and, and ladies, your self-esteem is just like, what, what was wrong with me? And you begin to believe that lie. Or maybe, um, I, I love the fact that the high school kids and college kids sit in the front. And maybe um, one of you have had this experience where your heart's broken because someone dumped you. I was speaking at Oaks Christian on four kinds of love this week, and I said, fundamentally, there are two kinds of people, the dumpers and the dumpies. How many of you are dumpers and like these kids raise their hand and go, danger, danger, stay away from them. How many of you have been dumped? Like three people raised their hand. Okay, I'm taking you guys out to lunch. Come on, we'll go. The bottom line is our hearts are all been broken. I, I was thinking about, you know, uh, my wife was in first service. We've been married 38 years, but in high school, uh, after we got out of high school, when I got into college... Um, you know, it was not cool to be dating a high school girl when you're a college man. So I'm a freshman at Biola, and at Christmas, we mutually agreed that we're going to spend some time apart. She's still in high school. I'm in college. We're going to break up, and I'm okay with that, except like a few days later when I come to Bible study, she comes strolling in with some other dude on her hand. I mean, like the body's not even cold yet, and she's, she's with somebody else. Now I was not so sure that I wanted to be broken up, and my heart was broken, she crushed it, but I really milked it first hour. It was awesome. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry. No, I was just messing with you. Um, but the bottom line is when you have young love in your life and you think it's over, your heart's broken. Or maybe you're the single person in this room that you're yearning to have a spouse. It just hasn't worked out. And you're wondering if you'll ever ever have a relationship. Or maybe you're that couple who's been trying and trying and trying to have kids and you're infertile and your heart's broken. You see, all of us have pain. All of us have something in our life that we're wondering, God, are you going to be big enough to handle this? And we haven't begun to talk about the prodigal kids and grandkids that have walked away. Or you're finding pot in your kid's 
deathbed and they've been dealing. Or they've left the church and you don't know what to do. Or your daughter got pregnant out of wedlock. Or you were betrayed by your best friend or coworker. You got fired from your job. Or your loved ones are suffering early onset dementia. And life of caring for an aging parent who has Parkinson's is just a long day every day. You see, life has a way of beating you up. And apart from Christ, I got to tell you, the, the bottom line is that He's promised to give you freedom, that he, He's here to bind up those of you who are brokenhearted today. And I don't know what your story is, but I'm sure you could add to the list. Now, the good news is that He doesn't promise, and it's kind of good, bad, He doesn't promise He's going to eliminate all suffering. Some of you live with chronic physical pain. God doesn't promise He's going to take away your pain, whether it's physical or emotional, but He does give you an end game to live through it, to endure it. So think about the idea of endurance, write this down, versus elimination. He's going to help you to live through it, endurance versus elimination. Number three, He gives us freedom from false beliefs. Look at John 8, 32. I love this verse. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, the word there, gnosko, is not uh, just intellectual knowledge. Plenty of people have intellectual knowledge about Christ. What, what he's talking about is an, in, an experiential knowledge. It's this idea that truth, God's truth, levels the playing field. In fact, he's telling the disciples, trust me, this is all going to make sense. At John 14, 6, you can write this verse down. It's not in your notes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God will provide. Now, it's interesting because many of you are relatively new to this church in the last three years, right? And so, I got a call uh, a week and a half ago from a guy saying, hey, um, I got some questions. I said, great. He goes, I want to start off by telling you I don't believe in heaven or hell. I said, okay. And, and I said, well, would you like to talk? He goes, well, I want to get into a Bible study. I said, well, why don't we start by, why don't you just come to church on Sunday? He goes, I'm Jewish. I said, that's cool. Jesus was Jewish too. And, and he goes, uh, yeah, I thought that would be funny. He didn't think it was that funny, but he did come. That's what was cool. He comes. And last week, you, you heard the gospel was presented very clearly by Pastor Scott. So then he gets in this conversation with Pastor Scott afterwards. And I walk up. And he goes, oh, you're the guy I talked to on the phone? I go, yeah. I said, do you still want to get together? Yeah, I still have questions. I said, okay. So this week we got together. He, I thought, he's not going to show up. He shows up to, right on time. He goes, now, I don't believe in heaven now. Yeah, I got that from the first time. I didn't say that. Uh, I, I'm not really sure. I'm like New Testament. And he's very animated. And I find out he's a lawyer. I went, oh, boy. All right. Get your game face on. I said, well, you, then you talk about evidence a lot, right? You, you believe in evidence, and we talked about that. And to make a long story short, we ended up talking about Jesus. Now, in a really cool illustration, he prays to receive Christ right then and there. Well, that just didn't happen. But here's what did happen. I said, are you willing to have more conversations? He says, absolutely. I said, you're at the right church then. This is a great place to process Wherever you're at on the spiritual journey. I said, would you read a book with me? He said, mm, what is it? I said, it's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. 
He said, okay, and we're going to read the book. We'll have another conversation. And I think about how often when we're talking to people, they buy into false beliefs. They think they know more than they really do, or they think they know something. They got it wired, and why do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And I said, well, that's a story for another day. So you kind of, he'll come back for more, Lord willing. So now fast forward a few more days, and it's yesterday now, and I'm playing golf with this guy. And for some reason, it's just the two of us. The other guys leave us. I don't know. They left at the turn, and, but it's just the two of us. And we're talking, and we're having this fantastic conversation. And I realize this guy's telling me stuff that you probably wouldn't tell people. But, you know, he's, he's, he's a single guy, 57, living with his 52-year-old girlfriend, and she makes a ton of money, and he sold a business, and now he's not working, and she's got an autistic 16-year-old, and on and on and on. Now, he never asked me what I do. I say, this is good. Let's keep talking. Because anytime I kind of say I'm a pastor, eh, that just kind of kills the conversation. So then we're, we're talking, and I'm talking about life and how you make choices. And we're done. And I had seven holes earlier, I said, hey, I'd love to play golf with you again sometime. I was looking for people to get golf with, but he never responded. And I thought, well, I guess <laughs> this is the last time I'll talk to him. At the end of the round, he hands me his business card, and he says, hey, here, I... I I would like to play golf again. I said, great. Then he says, hey, I got a little routine. When I'm done playing golf, I, I'm a cheap guy, and I like to buy beer at the, at the here. I, I always pack a couple of cold ones in my ice chest. You want to have a beer with me? I said, I sure do. I said, I'm thinking, I'm going to sit on the back of a pickup truck, and I'm going to throw down a beer. Uh, actually, I don't really drink, so this is a little awkward because I'm like, if I had like three sips, I'm like, woo I'm pretty sure that would not be good for the pastor. So I said, hey, I'd love to hang out with you and talk. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not much of a beer guy, but do you mind if I get a Coke? He said, sure. So I went and got a Coke. We sat and talked on the back end of his pickup truck for an hour and a half yesterday. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have another conversation with him. He's a guy that grew up in a really legalistic Catholic church, and he's dated three different pastor's daughters and they were all a little different. Let's just leave it at that. So the cool thing is I said, I whipped out my phone. I said, this is my pastor's daughter. He goes, you're a pastor? I saved it for the very end. It was so awesome. <laughs> and then he's hooked. You know, we have such weird ideas about what it means to share Christ and what we have to say or don't say. And I'm pretty sure this guy and I will have another conversation sometime. Because he just needed to talk about his story. We have false beliefs. And sometimes we got to help people get past those. Then fourthly, the ultimate freedom is that we have eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross sets us free. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's when words like rege redemption and justification make sense. If you don't understand those theological terms and you're a man, get into an e-group and learn about how to do life together with other men and talk about how Christ can make a difference in your life. We said last week that Scott explained the very simple facts of salvation, and if that's a new story to you, there are people this week that would love to talk to you. Acts 16.31 is as simple as I can make it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You don't save yourself, you don't do it, you don't earn it, you don't, clearly don't deserve it. 
And that word believe, amalageo, means trust in, cling to, rely on. It's not easy believism. It's not intellectualism. And you're justified by what he did. Your heirs, it says in Titus 3, 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It was like the time I was in my mid-20s and my Uncle Lloyd dies. My dad has four brothers, had four brothers and four sisters. There's eight of them all together, three brothers. And the one just older that I was closest to as, as a nephew, he dies and he asked me to, you know, I'm doing the funeral. He didn't ask me. He was dead. I did the funeral. That was coming out confusing. I do the funeral. Yeah. Woo. And so I do the funeral and they're reading the will the next morning, right? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to get out of Dodge here. I'll just go in another room. And that's just for the brothers and sisters. And I hear from the other room, and I leave all my worldly possessions to John Lee Irwin and Daryl Hunt. So there's like 50 cousins. Like, this is a big family. And for some reason, he leaves all of their stuff, you know, to the two of us. Now, I mean, it was unbelievable because, like, he left me like $7 million. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, but in my dream, it would have been seven. You got to get rid of a lot of zeros for what he ended up giving me. But it was enough to buy a brand new uh, Dodge Caravan. Now I'm really got the ride, man. I got the mom mobile, you know. And it's Minnesota, and we had kids, and it was brand new. And like we thought we were the most styling folks in, in the family. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve the money. Didn't I, I did become a landowner. I owned a house in Bakersfield for a while. Oh, that was fun. That's a whole other story for another illustration. It's called affliction. And so we, we, but I didn't deserve it. And that's what happens with our inheritance. We didn't deserve it. Our freedom in Christ, the blessing of salvation, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. And that, my friends, is why you have hope. That's why you have. We have a hope and the Bible talks about hope a lot, and that's what we'll end up with today. But I believe hope is a byproduct of the freedom you experience in Christ. So what about hope? First of all, it's found in God. Your hope is found in God. If you, you've learned, you can't put your hope in a relationship, in a bank account, in a job, in an invention, none of it. Psalm 39.7 says, my hope is in you. David's writing that. Why is his hope in God? Even though Saul is chasing him all over the countryside, for 14 years he's the heir apparent to the throne and is waiting and waiting, and Saul's getting crazier and crazier. Job trusted God with his life. Even when everything in his life was taken away, everything he loved, everything he owned, look at Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in Him. And ultimately, hope is tied to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us up. Look at Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I got to tell you, one of the most discouraged group of people I meet are Christians who feel empty. And I know that during a difficult time, it's easy to say that, man, God is so far from here. What happened? And yet I know that He'll fill you ultimately. So our future hope is, is anchored in these three concepts. Number one, it's secure. It's secure. We all want security, right? The stock market hasn't done us well this year. 
if you're a small business owner, you want someone to keep lending you money so you can keep producing things. You don't want someone to cut you off at your credit. Psalm Proverbs 23, 18, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. So the good news is our future is not in question, friends. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, heaven's a real place. If you haven't read anything about it, read Randy Alcorn's book on that subject. Fantastic. But look at this little promise from Revelation 21.4. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's security, friends. It's sustainable. No matter how hard life is, it's sustainable. He will come alongside even when we feel like quitting. Isaiah 40, 11, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Notice the progression from soaring to running to walking. Apparently, God knew that there should have been one more clause. That's for crawling because that's my speed, right? For those of you who run like you're crazy, I don't know how you do it. But the bottom line, God says you won't grow weary. There's a relational, emotional connection between you and God that even when you feel like giving up, He's there. And then it's salvation-focused. Jesus, friends, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. It's called the rapture. We've talked about this in the past. You can read about it in Revelation. 1 Timothy 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope. That blessed hope is the Christ in you, the hope of glory. And by the way, I have a new theory on the rapture, just another day, another sermon. How many of you are pre-trib? You think you're going to go before the great tribulation? That's when God's coming for His church. Raise your hand. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's, this is fun. There's no wrong answers, except mine. All right, uh, so that's the right answer. So pre-trib, raise them high. Let's see. How many think it's mid-trib? You're going to go in the middle of trib- tribulation. How many think it's at the end of the tribulation? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Good. All right. So here's the deal. If you're pre-trib, you're going pre-trib. The rest of you, if you're mid-trib, I'm sorry, you've got to wait three and a half years. You should have believed the truth. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. Just messing with you. So the bottom line is he's coming back. And here's the great news is he doesn't make promises he can't keep. Look at Titus 1-2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. He doesn't make promises he can't keep. I had a friend when I was in fourth grade. His name was Cliffy Punchard. Actually, Cliff. I don't know why I call him Cliffy, but Cliffy Punchard. And the kid was devious. He said, I'll be your friend. I said, cool. He says, but you've got to give me. And it was always something I had to give him. I'm pretty sure now that I was being extorted as a nine-year-old, right? It's like, it was like if I had three Oreo cookies, he got two out of three, all right? If, you know, there were seized candies, he wanted the whole box. If it was a treehouse to be built... Yeah, I'm not sure if you're good enough to be in the treehouse club. On and on and on. And so I'd give him that stuff to be friends, and then I'd get mad because I wanted it back. And I realized he was not a great friend. And thank goodness God isn't that kind of friend who dangles up, I'll be your friend, you'll be saved, you'll have freedom, but you got to give me this stuff. He doesn't do that to us. He died for you. He gave his life for you. He's redeemed you. He's justified you. And you don't have to do anything to earn that. That's a great great concept. And then lastly, we'll close with this. 
Ultimately, our hope is the fact that God isn't finished with me yet. God isn't finished with me yet. Philippians 1.6 is my favorite, probably my favorite verse in the New Testament. And it goes like this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's why we sang the song. Because God isn't finished with you. And you're saying, oh, but man, you have no idea how messed up I am. Well, the good news, if you're a Christ follower today, that God is never going to give up on you. Four years ago, in the very first sermon I ever preached here, I shared this video. I make no bones about it. It's probably my favorite illustration of a verse that I've ever used. And I want to tell you this story. It comes from 1992. It was the Barcelona Olympic Games. And a young British runner by the name of Derek Redmond is in the semifinal heat. And he is dreaming of Olympic gold, but if you know the story, he had wrestled with hamstring issues and he has to get out of the semifinal heat to get to the finals. And sure enough, as he's stretching it out there, he pulls his right hammy and he falls down. While he's laying on the track, the race is continuing and they finish it. He's sitting there for a moment, gathering himself. And as the rest of the runners finish the cross, the finish line, he has a decision to make. And he decides, I'm not quitting. And he begins to hop. And he's circling the track. And the crowd is starting to give him a standing ovation. 64,000 people. It was an unbelievable moment in Olympic history. And then his dad, Jim Redmond, comes out on the track. It was so cool. And he puts his arm around his son, and as Derek collapses in a puddle of tears on his daddy's shoulders, he's crying his heart out. His dad, it's okay. It's okay. We can do this. We can finish. The ever helpful Olympic officials all worried. He says, hey, hey, he's in a race here. And he says, he can't do this. He says, you get I can. Get out of here. And so he finishes his race arm in arm with his brother, with his son. And it's such a great illustration of the spiritual truth. He goes, I got this. When interviewed by USA Today, he was asked, why did you do it? And he said this, and I quote, he said, what my son began, I decided we'd finish together. And so a father and a son finished the race. And Friends, isn't that our life? Isn't this the story of our Christian life? We've all been hamstrung by sin. We've all fallen, haven't we? And yet, thank goodness we have a heavenly Father who comes out of the stands of heaven. He picks you up, Christian, and says, it's okay. We'll finish. I got this. We're going to finish this together. That, my friends, is the story of God's love and forgiveness and freedom of hope for you. You see, some of you are here today and you are beating yourself up about the woulda, shoulda, couldas of life, right? You've made mistakes. You have sin that you are ashamed of. You have a past you don't feel forgiven of. And yet, you want so much for God to work in your life. 
You know, we talk about people who are far from God, but some of the people who are most distant from God are the people who have a relation with Him, but wonder if God is all that He says He is. And maybe you're that place today. Because ultimately, as Christ followers, you have freedom from the tyranny of sin. You have freedom from the tyranny of guilt that says you're not good enough. You're free from the legalism that says you must do and you must perform and you have to do this. You have freedom from the issues of sin management that continually cause you to doubt whether you're even a Christian today. Because ultimately, His love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, His arms are big. His shoulders are strong. And in your heart of hearts today, if you're brokenhearted, if you're wondering about that, do not wonder. You serve a good God, a mighty God, a loving God, and He's not finished with any of us. Pretty good news, isn't it? Isn't that a great promise today? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And as you think about your life, I want you to think about that thing that's holding you back, that God's giving you freedom over. And you've been maybe even hamstrung by a sin that just keeps raising its ugly head. Whatever it might be, would you give that thing to God today? Let go of it. And if you're in that place and you say, yeah, I'm letting go of it. With God's help, I'm letting go of that. Would you look up at me? You don't have to come forward. Don't have to raise your hand. Just you and I, let me catch your eye. Okay. 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 All over this auditorium. Wait till I see you. Okay. I'll get there eventually. Okay. 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 Oh, Lord, I am so glad that you are not done with us. That that good thing that you started in us, you're going to continue to work it out through us. That that good work that you began, you'll complete. That's our prayer today. And so, Lord, we sing of it one more time. Would you continue to work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's our prayer today. Lord, we're so grateful that you came down. You saved us, redeemed us, justified us, forgiven us, and now we experience the freedom that only you can give. And we trust in that future hope. And now may every person in this room leave today knowing that they are loved, that they are forgiven, that they are free from the tyranny of their past, and they have a hope that only you can provide. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. As you leave today, as is our custom on Communion Sundays, we're taking a retiring offering. It's for our deacons fund. And what we do with that is it helps the needs of real people. This past month, we paid for somebody's house payment. We've housed a few homeless people in hotels. We've fed people. We've given them gas money. We want to meet the real needs of people in our body and outside. So if you'll throw something in, the, in that, that'll be great. 
as we uh, take our deacon's offering. You are dismissed. God bless.